Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ShopStill podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 20. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from KingPost Timberworks. Hello. And Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hello. And today we're also joined by a very special guest, Brian Cush from Sawdust Bureau. How are you, Brian? I'm very well. How are you? Good, good. That's good to hear. All right. So we live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get your comments towards the end of the show, but feel, please feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. Um, and of course, with Brian being here, we, you know, we'd love to get some questions over to him from you guys if you have any. So just a couple of announcements uh, before we get into the show. The first one, obviously, is the time change. We're now doing 7 p.m. for majority of Australia. Um, this has all had to ch change with the clocks, which changed over Easter. So from now on, the show will be at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And then on to the main part of the show. So I mentioned earlier that we're joined by Brian um, from a from the Sawdust Bureau um, of Brian, thank you very much, first off, for being on the show. So oh, I that's great. Thanks. Thanks very much for the invite. No problem. I wanted to start off quickly by giving a bit of an intro into Brian and, and what he does. So um, Brian has a master's degree in architecture um, and spent about six years working in an architecture, fir architecture firm. So he's the real deal. He's got the qualifications and the piece of paper to say so. So um, I think we're all going to definitely trust everything you tell us tonight, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> um, and then in 2014, he decided to put aside um, that that skill and start his own company. Is it Brian? Is it the Sawdust Bureau or just Sawdust Bureau? No, I just Sawdust Bureau. Yeah. Sawdust Bureau. Okay. Did you did you pur purposely choose a name that nobody can spell? I did. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maximize Googleability, you know, right. and nothing else came up uh, yeah. until I. Some building in America now called the Sawdust Memorial, something, and now that comes up all the time. I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was just I wanted a name that wasn't my own name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The reason I wanted something that was memorable, but yeah. If yeah. I look, I actually found the sheet that I wrote back all the potential business oh, names yeah. on, and mm -hmm. there are some shockers. So yeah. I'm happy that I sort of settled on something that I'm still not hating. It's <laughs> cool. Yeah. There is a link in the, the video description down below for those of you watching live where you can go to Brian's um, website and have a look. So Brian's originally from Belfast, but now works just outside of Melbourne. And he was shortlisted by the Australian Furniture Association for the 2015 Emerging Furniture Designer of the Year for his work on a piece called the, I'm not quite sure how to say this, Brian, so it might need to help, Brian, the, the Osberg Bench. Yep, Osberg Bench, yep. Yeah, which is, you'll be able to find that on his website. So, um, what I thought we might do, what we do in every show, Brian, is we start off by talking about what we're working on um, at the moment. So, would you like to take us away and, and just give us a brief rundown of what you've done in your shop over the last week? Sure, sure. So, I'm, I usually try to keep one big project on the go and a couple of small ones, but it Kind of just depends with orders when they come in. But the minute I have a or the remnants of a bed sitting on the ground here, I have one of my pinch benches on this bench, and then I also have a massive uh, boardroom 
round table, which is currently occupying about uh-huh. half my shop. So, yeah, a few different things. Um, yeah, just trying to be jumping between one and the other and get them all to the stage where you're finishing at the same time. It's a little bit awkward, but okay. yeah. Okay. I figure now's a good time as any to ask. You have a train track running through your workshop. I do have a train track running through my workshop. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a pity that it's dark now, but the yeah. two big double doors here lead out to a canal, and the canal was a. Uh, it connected down to the docklands, so uh, gunpowder was brought up in shells. Awesome. Canal. I'm in. Oh, is that just the other week, or is like uh, 1870s? <laughs> 1870s. So wow. Wow. seriously old building by Australian standards. Yeah. Uh, that's pre-Australia. It was when Victoria was a colony. Yeah. So they weren't allowed to make their own gunpowder. They had to uh, import it right. and stockpile it. And then I think just after they built this huge gunpowder magazine the british government changed the laws and allowed them to make it so it's kind of defunct after a few years but it's an incredible complex that has been empty since parts have been empty since the 80s others the 90s my workshop didn't have any doors on it for the last 25 years and and then working heritage and renew australia they sort of look at old heritage buildings that are empty and try to put artisans into them and yeah kind of wow. new life so yeah i was fortunate enough to get this space a year and a half ago and the first step was putting in the floor because yeah the train yeah. tracks were obviously a pretty tricky uh trip hazard so uh, yeah i put in a floating floor and then the um the grounds the groundsman that still maintains the place found this old this old trolley that was one of the original um gunpowder moving trolley so i just welded um my old workbench to it that's amazing so, that is cool move. 200 kilos uh, by myself, which is good. Obviously, super useful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a lot of effort trying to get the curve right on the the track because the front wheels don't follow the rear wheels as it goes around corners and all that kind of stuff. But the effort was definitely worth it. Like, I now that it's got this dining table on top of it or this boardroom table on top of it, I'm kind of missing it, using it in my work. Sort of, I bring timber onto it, I dress it, I wheel it back and forth through the workshop, and now it's, yeah, it's occupied for the next week. Seems like a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you yeah. who are um, who are listening uh, on iTunes, basically Brian's got a mini train oh, track with train in his in his <laughs> workshop, which yeah. is probably something not many people I think can uh, can boast about. Working a- on wheels is great, but knowing like I know the exact path that this takes, so I can yeah. sort of put things on the floor and know that I'm never going to catch an edge on them. Yeah, that's, that's mm. one of the nice things about it. It's a pretty cool um, building. There's a place in Perth here which they tried to do something similar to. It was the old uh, railworks in Midland. But when they started to kind of renovate it for the artisans to take over, they found there was too much, like, diesel pollutant. Oh, really? Like, under the slabs because it had soaked through, so they never got off the ground. But yeah, it's similar I'm era. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. If you go on, if you go on Google and uh, search for Jack's Magazine, you'll get the aerial view of it. And the internals of the main buildings where they actually stored the gunpowder are absolutely incredible. And they're not being used for anything. They're trying to get commercial operations in there, but yeah, it's a tricky site. So yeah. more the better yeah. for me. So you have to Jordan. Okay, yeah, let's go uh, Jordan. Me, uh, what am I up to? So I when I got into Perth uh, from my trip, I came into the workshop for one day before I fell sick with tonsillitis, but it was a productive day with lots of 
people like just randomly walking in and ordering and commissions and stuff. So it was kind of cool. Awesome. So I got two two fresh commissions the day I got back, which was nice. nice. Um, but yeah, I've been out of action because of tonsillitis and then a cold. So I've only really started working today uh, where I took delivery of about 75 lineal meters of uh, Vic Ash for sort two dining I've got it all cut to rough length now, so I'm just going to let it kind of acclimate over the weekend before I start milling it. Uh, and I also put in a little bit of a new floor in the front part of my shop. So it's kind of like Joey's plywood floor, except not as fancy because it's just particle board. But Whose plywood floor? Yours. I don't have a plywood floor. What? bathroom. <laughs> That's plywood, isn't it? Oh, in my bathroom, right? Yeah, you got plywood floor somewhere. Yeah. No I one know has the other floors, Joey. It's only ever the bathroom that's important to talk about. In my workshop is like the worst floor. Oh, no, I'm in your house. Yeah, sorry, in your house. <clears throat> but yeah, it's cool. Um, but no, not much. I've been I've been out of action, so not a huge amount this week, unfortunately. What about you? Who's going next? Okay. Um, I've been, what have I been doing? Had a bit of a slow week work-wise um, with some clients wanting jobs to be postponed a little. And so I've had to uh, kind of, essentially we spent a week of uh, cleaning up, rearranging, shifting machines. So I've actually increased my uh, workable area in the workshop by a considerable, considerable amount, which I'm pretty happy about. Um, I've been working on this extension dining table and mm. so I've been trying to get that sorted out and I think I finished it today. We'll find out tomorrow if the finish has worked out. Um, and I'm su super happy about how the sliding mechanism has worked out. Um, you can do it with one person, which is awesome. So mm. lift up the table one end and it's there's a, um, enough slideability that it just that slides without mm. pulling the whole table along. So, um, I really like the base, how you actually, the base extends with it. I've not, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I've seen it before, but not registered, but this is the first time I've seen it in detail and I really like it. Yeah, Instead I've made it before. I made some mistakes the first time. It was probably about a year and a half ago. I did the same thing and I, I was having to use carry at the time, which is like essentially as dense as pine. It was very difficult to have that sliding dovetail mm. work without binding all the time. And now you, using um, white oak, um, it's very hard and it, it just is going to start burnishing itself to, to a harder surface. Yeah. And so that sliding mechanism is only going to get better, I think. So, um, yeah, really happy with that. So, yeah, that's about me. Cool. I have been working on my bathroom renovation. Um, oh, yeah, it was pretty much the entire Easter long weekend. I had all these great plans of I was going to be onto waterproofing by the end of the weekend, and I'd <laughs> got as far as pu pulling down maybe three sheets and building the bath, the, the tub frame. But it's it's just this really annoying thing. Like as someone who's not a builder, every single step is well, I didn't expect this to happen, or I didn't expect this to happen. So. I'm getting through it, you know, slowly but surely. But, yeah, it's just taking a lot longer than I wanted to. I had the plumber come in yesterday and roughen all the pipe work, so I'm officially good to go again. Sweet. So, so this weekend I'll be back to um, probably going to be sheeting this weekend. I was going to say no weekend for you. Yeah. Yeah, no weekend, massive quotation marks these days. Um, <laughs> Did your tub lift give enough room for the plumber? Was it Annoyingly, 
he so there's this thing called a plum dinger, which is what they use when they build new homes. So they they put in this plum dinger so when the when they pour the slab, so that the when the builder puts the bath in, he's got a bit of wiggle room. Right. I didn't actually need to go up for that plum dinger because I, we we just put the bath in place, drilled the hole, pulled the bath out. We could have just you know dropped a, a straight piece of fifty mil PVC straight, straight down yeah. exactly with yeah. maybe maybe fifty mil clearance. But so it is a bit higher than it needed to be. But at the end of the day, it's it's I think it's about four eighty or five hundred high, which is about oh, it's all right. It's about normal for a bath. Yeah. So it's not too bad. Um, and then other than that, I've got a stack of weatherboards behind me, which I'm busy painting. I've done both sides now, so I can get those up onto the wall of the workshop outside um, as soon as I have a chance. So, yeah, that's been pretty much it. Cool. All right. Uh, before we get on to the topic, uh, Brian, one of our uh, – someone in the chat, Dirk from Sumo's Project, has asked, did Brian have an ad – on YouTube a while back. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was approached <laughs> by Hewitt Packard. It's a pretty odd Real? Wow. Uh, thing. And I obviously didn't get paid for it, but now I never have to buy printers or printer ink again, so that's a bonus. But that's they told good. me that there is a decent sort of media spam behind it, so that, that was the reason why I did it. And they gave me some really nice footage out of it. So yeah, I had friends in the UK see it, in Sweden, uh, wow. Spain. Like, so it was really weird. But, so uh, what was what were you advertising? It was a, a wireless printer that has an app, so you can print from wherever you are. So that was that was oh. the point of difference. It was a handy. It was a really really good printer. And, and sorry, so it was they did um, promote it here in Australia as well. Well, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I guess they must have because Dirk saw it. It was like YouTube pre rolls, and I think they did a little bit of cinema as well. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, yeah, I like that you said there was it was an awesome printer. Is it is it no longer? Um, yeah, no comment. Okay. <laughs> Printers have a uh, have a lifespan, is what I've I find. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, it lasted me four years. All right, that's all right. It's pretty good. It still prints, but it doesn't print wirelessly. Right. Yeah. So the, cool. the function of the wireless printer is no longer wireless. Uh, <laughs> I was I was going to say this. But yeah, um, yeah, good spot. So uh, the topic is made to be, well, will be, but we will, I'm sure we're going to go off on tangents. Um, I managed to catch, Brian, you had an interview, I think, last week or the week before with, who was it? Uh, it was just Sir, uh, online university. That's right. And University of Canberra. So I caught I caught that it's a great interview and you said you told your story relatively quickly about how you got into furniture making from architecture. And I yeah. thought that was a pretty unique um, way of how you went about doing that. And I, I so the topic I think would be good to kind of elaborate how you went from sure, yeah. professional's job to being a creative maker although that your your job had probably quite a lot of creativity in it anyway um but now and then transitioning to kind of solo person making your own stuff um so we could go over start going over that and then i'm sure we'll just start running yeah. into all sorts yeah. of stuff okay um so yeah i studied architecture for seven years I had had a fair bit of interest in design and making growing up. Um, I did design technology at school, 
favorite subject. My grandfather was an architect who became a furniture maker, who became a builder. Okay. So there was good genes there, maybe. It's yeah. funny because on my mother's side, you know, there's the creative making side, and on my father's side, it's completely the opposite. Like he actually got kicked out of his work woodworking class at school <laughs> um, for uh, endangering himself and other students. So um, yeah, it uh, it kind of sparked a bit of an interest in my childhood. I would make um, the old bent balsa airplanes, the ones you can actually fly. I'd make yeah. them with my grandfather. Then at university, I was always kind of more interested in the model making side of architecture than maybe the sitting at a computer and, and spending, you know, umpteen hours modeling something up. Mm, yeah. Um, so from there, I did my, I, I studied in Glasgow, and then I studied in the Netherlands at Eindhoven, which is fantastic, incredible model making workshop. Like, are we talking about 15 times the size of my shop <laughs> right now? Uh, every piece of machinery, all your materials were free. It was just, I mean, the Dutch oh. education system is on another yeah. level. And then I came to Melbourne Uni and um, it sort of, it was a bit more of an old school education again, but as part of my master's, they have a timber furniture workshop um, that was run by Hamish Hill, who's a sort of a pretty respected woodworker in Victoria. And I did that, loved it, um, then completely forgot about furniture. Right. Graduated, started a job in an architect's that I really liked, Tandem Design Studio um, was the company. That's here in, in Melbourne. In Melbourne, yeah. yeah. So they, the two directors had both worked on Federation Square for another architect and then decided to start their own practice. So they were pretty fresh when I think they were maybe only on their third or fourth project right. um, when I graduated and joined them. So it was a really young, uh, fun practice to be in. It was hardworking, but it wasn't like my friends that were working for other architects were getting sort of slammed. It was like weekends, you know, you mm. work Saturdays, you work Sundays, you get paid the same. Yeah. It, you know, it was just stupid. Whereas these guys had a really good work ethic. Um, it was a nice team. It was 50-50 gender split, which in architecture at the time was very unusual. Now it's yeah. becoming more common. Um, but I don't know. I don't know whether it was the clients that I had. I really liked the jobs that I was working on, but maybe it was the clients. Uh, I had some issues with town planners that um, I, I won't mention which councils, yep. but um, <laughs> difficult. It's kind of it's really tricky being lectured about aesthetics from somebody right. who doesn't have any training in aesthetic right, degree yeah. and being yeah. told this is what looks good, and then you look at what else has been built in the suburb. Yeah, you're like that's <laughs> not right. So, um, so there was a lot of frustration with that, with um, budgets being. Uh, tighter and tighter like uh, this was GFC time right. so we were fortunate enough that we had enough work that nobody got laid off and uh, the boss decided to put everybody down to four days a week okay. so it was quite it was quite a nice um, yep. environment still to work in but uh, yeah I just felt as though something was lacking I didn't mm -hmm. want to be stuck at a desk for the rest of my life and mm -hmm. um, I then took 18 months out to travel with my wife and we spent a bit of time in Africa uh, we drove from, well, we tried to get from Cape Town to Cairo, but then all the Arab Spring kicked off. So <laughs> it was just a real adventure and properly away from the environment that we were in. She works in advertising. I worked in architecture and we're like, right, let's do something completely different. And yeah. It was when I was traveling. I was like, I really should make furniture again. I should find some way of getting back into it. And we came back to Australia and I went back into my old job and she went back into her old <laughs> job. Good old and safety. nothing changed. 
Yeah. It was like a mirage. It's like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. But um, I think it was a friend of a friend said, you know, oh, they heard about these spaces that were being available for rent in an old wool store. The rent was cheap. It was like 300 bucks a month or something like that. Yes, but... It was tiny. It was like four meters by four meters. Oh, right. Okay. It was 10 minutes from, from my office in the city. So I would go into work get something to eat and then go up to my workshop and spend sure. evenings there. And it was just kind of gradually portioning off my salary, working out what tools I needed. My uncle up in Queensland sent some of his tools down and uh, it was a pretty slow process. And I wasn't really making that much stuff. It was more just playing with techniques, you know, right. um, going on YouTube, heaps, <coughs> yeah. forums, reading books. Um, yeah, I think I probably only made about two or three pieces of furniture in the first year of having my workshop. Yeah. That was what, what I mean, one of my other questions is, so from, so you've been like in as a business for about four years, as, as I understand it. Um, yeah. And your progression seems to be huge. You obviously had a decent um, skill set at, from the get go, from the training you had. Um, were you actually trained in a in traditional type fine furniture making or did you literally discover how to like teach yourself all these different elements in that time the um the melbourne uni course the timber furniture design was like kind of a basic like a one-on-one of of entry level fine um, maybe it's not fine furniture but i still don't consider myself a fine furniture maker like mm. I'm, I'm a maker yeah. i don't hand cut dovetails like i would love to have the time but just yeah. as a commercial viability, I, I haven't yeah. been able to find the clients. They might exist and, you know, I'd love them to, but yep. um, I don't know. No, I think I was just, I'd try a technique and I'd try, um, I'd try to implement it in a piece of furniture and then the next piece of furniture, I'd try something different. And I think it was just through that process of making loads of mistakes along the way yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that I learned. Um, I don't think if I'd gone to a TAFE or um a woodworking school i don't think i don't think i would have learned the way that i have learned like i've learned quite organically yeah, yeah. yeah. what i've enjoyed i think that organic learning has a lot more to offer than it does in a, a tafe environment because i did go to tafe and did uh furniture design which back then was 3d design Mm -hmm. And while the course itself promises that, oh, you'll get to learn how to design and make your furniture, you're kind of limited to your shop teacher because they're going to go the way they want to build this thing yeah. and they'll take you on their journey throughout it when really if you're just playing around with different techniques and learning, oh, I could actually do it this way and give me this cool effect or whatever, these old boys that are you know, they're coming from a trade or another school, they don't necessarily have those little insights that you learn from trial and error. They just have insights that they've learned and they've stuck with it for years. Mm. I mean, obviously it's helpful, but I don't think it's the best way to do it um, at a TAFE. Yeah. It's better to kind of get a mentor from a really, really good maker already, I, in my opinion. Did you have a mentor or were you just... I'm just going to do this um, and stuff everyone else. <laughs> pretty much winged it, to be honest. Yeah. Like, apart yeah. from Hamish, who I still keep in contact with. Um, he's not, no longer at Melbourne Uni, and they've kind of right. uh, changed the course a little bit. It's still part of the architecture degree, but 
a friend of mine who was also a graduate of the same program is now running it. And it's a bit more taking like real cutting edge technology and putting it back into furniture, like traditional furniture making techniques. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the furniture that these students are producing would just blow your mind. Yeah, like absolutely. this is their first piece of furniture they've ever made. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Table. It's worth having a look on um, on Instagram. And X Lab is what it's called at Melbourne Uni. I mean, there's a coffee okay. table there that's like a it's like a fifteen thousand dollar piece. It's wow, it's beautiful. So, um, so again, you know, they haven't been schooled by Adam in a way that this is fine furniture and this is the only way to learn. Yeah kind of feed them little bits and pieces and send them off and to investigate and they'll make prototypes of a little model and piece and then they will start scaling that up into the furniture and yeah that's i think that's the best way to learn otherwise your stuff just ends up looking like everybody else's pieces yeah that's true um so in that process of you learning essentially teaching yourself Mm -hmm. um and so i think if i remember rightly you made uh, were kind of commissioned by a friend pretty early on to make a piece um, and then you've had to make it again uh, like a, a long sort of long uh, sideboard yeah the, the, the Osborne bench yeah yeah so so that for as an example <coughs> you made it one quite fairly early on and then you've had to make it again do you look back at the first version and obviously you're happy with it, but do you think, well, yeah, man, I'm not going to make it like that again because, you know, completely, you know, you should have done it backwards or something completely isn't quite right. Or are you, were you pretty happy with first first go out and then just copied it the next time? The design, that was probably about the fourth or fifth iteration that it went through. Right. And it was more me. I'd be sketching things and modeling things up and sort of knocking certain pieces out by myself and then I'd take the best pieces the best renders or whatever sketches to the client and then we'd have a conversation so th- there was a huge amount of time and that that was when i was still working as an architect as well so that was um yeah four years ago five years ago and it was just evenings and weekends so there was maybe maybe 50 60 hours of design work went into that piece oh, yeah. so i'm actually pretty happy with the design and the proportions and the structure of it and it, it hasn't like it's aged pretty well Awesome. The piece that I made for that client. The only yeah. thing that I changed was the way in which I made it. So right. again, mm-hmm. just fast tracking things, making jigs as opposed to doing things by hand. Yeah. Um, which again, as my skill level sort of increases, I find that I change all my pieces. Yeah. Yeah. But they're just so, small tweaks, you know, it's just efficiency. So being that you have the architectural background, when you design a piece, are you designing it like fully drafting it out and having plans so you could really just envision it on paper before you even start making it or do you kind of go from a concept sketch and then start making i will generally i'll always start as a sketch so uh, i kind of believe or the way i was taught was about using like a diagram as a as an actual design tool as opposed to just um using it as an information tool so i would kind of say that every piece of mine has like i'm trying to create a shape that's different that can be you know like my pinch bench for example is you know like you can draw it very very quickly and it's a very simple shape but the complexity lies within the piece and you've got to Mm. sort of discover those complexities um so yeah i would generally start and try to have a big idea or a shape or something and then i might get I'll, i'll sketch it in 3d but then it'll 
become a 3D model in computer and it will be developed to the nth degree in the computer. And I use a software that I learned in architecture that I would not recommend for anybody. um, (laughs) It's it's scripted so that it will spin out cut lists and volume and uh, cost a piece. Yeah, right. So you will work just from a cut list after you do spend however many hours designing, print out a cut list and that's, that's what, that's your Bible. That's it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know, maybe it's a confidence thing, but I, I like the security of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Taking that cut list, going to a timber yard. I don't I don't I don't have the room to buy bulk buy timber. No, no. And yeah. I kinda like the idea as well that um, a client, you know, if they want to come to the timber yard with me, I can do that yeah. and I can pick the pieces by hand. Yeah. Um, or if it's like a lot of eucalypts are obviously quite red and a lot of people are scared of red, so right. I pick the least red pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of do it. But I'm not quite confident enough to just go and make something. I think the only piece I've tried that with was there's a little triangular table, the Chiquetta table that I did, right. and that was just messing about with little scraps. And it's a okay. simple form. But again, yeah. it was the same thing. I had the diagram there, and then just instead of going to the computer, I went and just started cutting things. Cool. Yeah. So, Brian, I know there's a lot of people in the chat that will probably be in this situation, myself as well included, trying to get to the point where we have people knocking down the door to get commissions. So obviously you started in architecture, which I'm assuming you had fantastic connections through, also through obviously through the woodworking skill. When you decided to stop architecture and go full time, was that like a, right, I'm gonna drop everything and, and become a furniture maker and the rest will work at, you know, work itself out, or did you already had have, have potential clients, but you know, in your books that you could that you could um, sort of um, and call. It's funny, like from architecture, I would have expected to have done more work now from people that I had yeah. ex clients and things and contacts. Yeah. I haven't really done that much from mm. for, for contacts that I've had from that. They've been <clears throat> contacts. Yeah, I find that so, quite surprising because I would have assumed like. Uh, <laughs> You'll be the next natural progression, but wow, okay. Yeah, but no, I, I've done work for the architects that I used to work for, for Tandem. I've done stuff for them, for um, South Melbourne Market, for their food court. That's that's pretty much it, to be honest. Um, yeah. When I, so it was a gradual progression out of architecture as well. I did about, I did about a year where I was just in my workshop on evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. And then I got a few small commissions for Chapel Street traders in Melbourne. They wanted like a pop-up market, so I did these kind of milk crate things that were a bit less rustic than most milk crate furniture. <laughs> and it was enough money to buy some more tools. And then I got a few I, – I, sorry, as part of the deal for doing the, the market furniture, I got a stall at the market. Okay. Ah. I made three or four yeah. pieces and went down there every Sunday for about three months. Yeah, and that's hard work. Like, yeah, it's the slow, you know, was it worth your while at all? Do you know the funny thing was it? It, it really was. Well, I've I think I've made more contacts at that one market than I have from any other trade show, well, which is weird because yeah. interesting the context, the location in Melbourne. It's quite a high end area of Melbourne. Yep. Um, it was quite young at the time, so this was five six years ago. And now a lot of the people that I met at the market have actually come back to me. Like well, I cool. sold the piece. I sold the piece at the market to a woman who like literally came back 
three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and bought bought another piece. Well, that's good. Really nice to sort of have that that kind of cycle with mm. with clients. Well, that's one of the things that we've that we've talked about on the show before. As someone who's trying to get into this full time, finding that first customer mm-hmm. just seems impossible. And so, I guess for everyone out there listening, markets are a good place to to make some of those contacts. Mm-hmm. Do you know that you're not going to get direct sales, but you're gonna you're gonna know immediately what people like. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. If you literally bring three pieces along, watch watch which piece people look at. Watch. Just listen, listen to what they're saying about it. Like, yeah, hope, yeah, eavesdrop so, on them. <laughs> yeah, when, pretty, pretty much. When you were at that market, were you only exhibiting furniture pieces, or did you have kind of small pocket change items as well? No, nah, I decided not to do the pocket change items. Yeah. So it was um, just you had a display of some of your works, and that was. Yeah, I yeah. think I had three pieces, and um, yeah, that was that was basically it. So I did that when I was still full time architect. Then it was, was it a year later? I think it was a year later. I'd applied for a city of Melbourne business grant mm. and I'd kind of done it just on the premise that this will get my ass into gear anyway. You right. know, I'll yeah. sit down and write a proper business plan, go through forecasts, try to you know come up with a few more designs and make me look more professional than I am. Um, <laughs> and it was a huge amount of work. But it was the best thing that I ever could have done because at the end of it, I sat there with my document and I went, I'm making the right decision here. This is what I want to do. Mm. And um, submitted it. And there's a maximum amount that you could apply for with this particular grant. And I just went, you know, if I get two grand, if I get two grand, I'll be happy. It'll be half a sort of stop. And um, they called me and said, you've been awarded the full amount. And I literally quit my job that day. Wow, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really... It was empowering, but it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it was feel- something that I thought would take, you know, another couple of years, another two years, and I would build up a client list um, and have a backlog of work. Because when I quit my job, I had no work lined up. Yeah. Like none, zero. Because I but imagine I there's a, the time was right. You, you um, presumably, you've got to pay some of that back, or is it just straight up? No, it's just a straight-up grant. All right. Money so for jam. Um, that's decent. There are, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so many council grants, especially arts councils in Melbourne and, and Sydney. If you're there, like, just apply for them. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. You can travel grants, you know, like you can go and work in a workshop in Japan or Denmark or something like that, and they'll pay half of everything. Wow. Um, this particular grant was a startup grant. You couldn't use it on salary, advertising, or rent. It had to be all capital purchases, so I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "That sounds yeah, so pretty, tough." <laughs> pretty much, but um, those so that was are hard really, to apply for too. Like they were—they're pretty tricky. Yeah, I've looked into them myself, and I said, "You know what? I don't need it that much." Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I yeah. give up. Do you know? I—I I, after applying for that one, I said to myself, "Right, every grant that comes up, I'm going to keep applying, and yeah. I haven't applied for one since." <laughs> I guess it's a really good way to keep your your nose kind of in the nitty gritty of your business plan and making sure that it is constantly developing the way it should be. Yeah, but it's a lot of work. It is. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why I haven't done it. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I'd say for anybody that's sort of looking to turn a side hustle into a business, it's such a worthwhile thing to do. You know, it's not going to be fun doing it necessarily, but um, just giving your business real numbers and yeah. a real face yeah. and, you know, come up with a business Some, name. Yeah. Something we haven't actually touched on here, 
that maybe people don't know is you won an award for your pinch noir bench is that or, or is it the pinch bench or the pinch noir the black one yeah that was yeah. the black one yeah. so maybe tell us a little bit about about that and then i'm really interested to hear your take on the aftermath of winning this big award okay. and how you how it's affected your business if at all have you okay. have you turned it to a rock star oh complete <laughs> rock star yeah um got the chains so, and all <laughs> um so the pinch bench was the piece that i actually did at my university that was my university project so that was the first piece of furniture i ever made um and i still have the original in my house and awesome. it's a little bit ropey you know there's <laughs> bits that are kind of maybe not the best most clean cut joints but it's it means a lot to me to have that piece you know and i can mm. see the progression of it so i then knew that the awards program was coming up as uh, part of the vivid awards and I wanted to refresh the piece and give it a new kind of aesthetic. So I came up with the idea of doing a black and gold version. Mm-hmm. So the leg, which was previously concrete, was now uh, electroplated brass, still concrete yeah. filled, give it like a structural anchor. Yeah. Um, and one of the first things I established in my business was that I was only going to use Australian timbers and I was never going to stain anything. I saw it well, on your website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, right, okay, I'm going to get a black finish and I'm going to get it blacker than black. How am I going to do that? Yeah. So then I invested, investigated ebonization, and I don't know if any of you guys have done that, but it is hard work. Like, no, I haven't done it because it looks so, so time-consuming. <laughs> like the humidity that when you make, when you put the steel wool in the vinegar and, and seal it, like the humidity that day, the temperature that day, the, like there are so many variables. But, right. um yeah, yeah and it was done on Vic Ash as well, which has quite a low tannin count. So I had to paint yeah. black tea onto the onto the piece to yeah, kind right. of use the tannins so that the steel wool, wool would react. But yeah, there was a there was a lot of time involved. But I entered it. I was like, I want a piece that has a real bling factor to it. I want something that because I mean back then there wasn't too much black furniture about it. Still, people thought of it as being a wee bit eighties. Right. I was like, no, let's let's go something really sharp and blingy. Yeah, and cool. um, and yeah, it won the award, and I was genuinely shocked. Like I yeah. was really, really shocked. So, it came with a reasonable cash prize, which was lovely. And uh, you know, all the press photographers are there, and then a week later, I'm <laughs> like, oh, that was it. <laughs> got um, very little media coverage compared to previous years, which was a bit oh. of a shame. Oh. Um, I didn't sell a piece at the show. I sold it subsequently, and I've made a few more of them for other um, other awards and traveling exhibitions and things. But uh, it wasn't like an overnight, like, oh, I'm absolutely, I'm sorted now. Yeah. It was more just, it's a, it's a nice thing to say to clients, you know, award-winning furniture maker. And it doesn't matter really what that award is. It just looks it good. Sounds, no so it, it just looks good, you know? Um, so it- did you, you said it was the Vivid Awards, right? Yeah, the Vivid Award, yeah. Now, was that, is that an open competition or so like anyone it can is, apply? It's a fully or, open competition. Yeah. And it's, it's free to enter. Oh, right. Okay. Um, it's free to enter for students and professionals. Yeah. I think you have to be, is it, it's maybe under the age of 30. Right. No, I wouldn't be. I would have been over the age of 30. There is yeah. something in it, but it, it is open to professionals and students, and it's completely free. And there are cash prizes. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, 
I kind of spent about probably three weeks entering every single awards that I could find online. I was like, I'm going to show clients that my pieces are award winning. (laughs) And um, it won that one. It won a Melbourne Design Award and was shortlisted for the Clarence Prize. Um, And yeah, the Clarence Prize was, that was probably the most important one to me because the pieces that were submitted for it were pieces that I look at and go, wow, I didn't see my stuff in that kind of category alongside that sort of work. So to be, to be shortlisted for that to me was more important than, than winning. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I see um, the point of view, I guess, of, of winning that award. There's two points of view, I suppose. I, I see that some clients would say, oh, my God, let's go this guy because he must be awesome if he won this award. And then the other half of the clients go, well, I can't go to that guy because his prices just went through the roof yeah. because he's won That'd this award. Me. That'd be yeah. me. And so have you found there's any been any way like that? Um, I don't really know, to be honest. Like I, with my pricing structure, I'll do the full – like kind of like your work, Joey, I'll do the full complete bespoke one-off pieces. Yeah. But it's um it's very, very hard to make money. Yeah. I I find doing that way, you know. Yep. You're constantly having to, you know, what you're saying about your sliding table, like the amount of work that goes into getting something like that to to actually work the way you want it to is huge. Yeah. So um I have that as one line of my business and at a premium price point. And then the other line is pieces that I've made before, but I offer customization on them. Right. So, you know, okay, make cool. a pinch bench, but make it wider, longer, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And I, through the computer software that I use, it's just a matter of going into the model and stretching it, and it'll tell me the additional yeah, material right. costs. And it's, that's pretty much all the client pays. You know, it's going to take me the same amount of time to make it, if it's that little bit longer or wider or whatever. Um, yeah, but that's... with the pieces, I, I addition them. So 49 is kind of my run. Um, right mm-hmm. because there's well, my brother-in-law is a copyright lawyer in canberra and i don't know whether you've covered the ip and stuff no not um, yet um but yeah you get bugger all protection in australia is right. you know, is the unfortunate thing about uh, being a furniture maker as opposed to being an artist yeah so um yeah i try to position my furniture as art and right. I yep. say 49 that's, pieces, so yeah, 50 cool. is the, the keyword takes over into mass-produced. Right, right, okay. You know, 49, it, the piece will start cheaper, and then as it goes through the edition and nears the end, I right. put the price up. And do you find that um, that structure has been a, a uh, how do you say, like a, a good structure to have for your, for your business? Because it, it's, it's something it's I've... Hard transitioned yeah. into doing with you know this is my line so stance for example yeah and that's a standard piece it has a set price for whatever material and then as you customize it it goes up as well because yeah. like you say it's hard to do bespoke one-off and make any money on it yeah um so i'd be interested to hear how you i think it has to be honest um, yeah i think it just makes you feel like Will the client feel they feel as though they are getting a proper bespoke service without necessarily getting a completely bespoke piece that nobody else has? They've just got a version of something that you already know how to make, and yeah. Um, it's uh, both um, both uh, Jordan and um, Brian. 
uh, something just kind of occurred to me. I've never really thought about it before. So do you actually spell out on your website that this is the piece and it can be customized any way you want? Because I will do that. I just assume everybody knows that I can make anything. <laughs> I can change it. I and have so to I don't spell, spell it out. out. Because you even... Like, I spell it out on my website. And so, for example, this the last... I had two... Uh, a lovely couple come through who found my website and decided to come in. And they, they gave me the job. But they were very perplexed that I could make it 900 mil wide. So, oh, right. so you can modify it. I was like, right. yeah. I mean, I'm a furniture maker. Yeah. This See, I just my- assume people... No. If I'm going to be a furniture maker, I can make it whatever size you like. Make as big as your house if you want a dining table that big. But, yeah, obviously it needs a bit more pushing along that, yeah, I can do whatever you want. <laughs> I think a lot of people aren't used to custom furniture service. Yeah. They, they, they're used to, oh, well, I'm going to go to the, this shop and what's in the shop is what it is. And it's like you, you kind of got to separate yourself from that mindset that they have and introduce them to the idea of I can do whatever you want. If you want a bloody dragon head glued onto the end of this thing, <laughs> I'll glue a dragon head onto it. You know, yeah. I, I will do anything you want. So, yeah, yeah, I'll spell it out. All right, everyone. Um, what we might do, um, well, before we move on, is is there anything else we want to quickly ask um, Brian before we move on to a question? <laughs> I had some questions. Um, oh, I do. I So uh, this kind of goes back to where we are heading earlier in the conversation. Uh, your client set, I would have, after you said that uh, you didn't take too many clients from your architectural firm, are your clients mostly commercial or residential or is it a 50-50 split? Um, yeah, 90% residential. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, commercial stuff, I find it's too hard to compete price-wise yep. against yep. Um, yes, yes. partners that are just knocking up tables for yep. restaurants. So I have done stuff for certain restaurants, but I will say, you know, give me the, you know, a speciality piece and I'll, I'll make it amazing for you. But yeah, sure. trying to quote on a whole restaurant or cafe job. You can't beat, you can't beat it. Not at all. Can't, I can't no, even no. get close. I'm just not no. set up to do it. No, neither. Just, can't do it. Yeah, a, I, I kind of prefer residential. I like knowing that the piece isn't going to be wrecked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that it's going to be with them for you know their lifetime, hopefully. It's a whole other aspect to commercial furniture. It's, it's not that it has to look nice. It's that 900 people a day are going to sit on this thing yeah, and wreck on it and smash into and it. destroy it. Yeah. Yeah. And in I a month, it's going to look like crap. Yeah. three the restaurant's probably going to change its image. They're going to get interior designers in. Everyone's going to paint it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, who, who would paint a nice, beautiful wood? Hey, Joey. That's who, right. Who, who would paint a door white when it's a nice, beautiful wood? Only if I'm paid to do it. I'm about to do my first ever whitewash, and it's breaking my heart. Oh, whitewash isn't too bad. It's not too bad because you can still see the wood, but I don't want to do it. Um, <laughs> do you, could you put a name on all of your pieces? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think cool. it's. Um, I don't know. I like to inject a bit of, uh, a little bit of personality into yeah. the pieces as well. Um, you make it Swedish. Uh, one Danish, but no, I try to. I don't know. It's either a descriptive term about the, how the form was created, or 
I'll just pick a random word on the internet that kind yeah. of suits the piece. That's a good idea. I think, <clears throat> I think it's a good idea because it really inputs <clears throat> that you've put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. And it's not just that you've whipped up this table in, in your yeah. back shed. It's that you've designed this thing and you're proud of it enough that you're going to name it something and stand yeah. behind it. I think that's a whole another level of good salesmanship as well. Totally. Yeah. I, had I think a, as well, like I have, um, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a sense of, I'm Irish, so I've got a sense of humor. And I think a lot of uh, real high designy people are very, very serious. And yeah. I like to have a bit of personality in my pieces. Yeah, cool. Um, mm. Yeah, that's all part of the naming and the branding of them as well. I, I did like the, um, the naming conve convention of everything. And when I rebranded my business to Periodic, I was like, oh, I could name everything after an element on the table. Yeah. And then soon after, I had a, a customer from hell. Actually, it was a client where I lost my fingertip. Right. Um, Not, the client or, didn't like chop it off or anything. No, no, it was, it was just. just <laughs> and, then, and then they they were like a Steam Lab uh, style coffee bar, and they named everything in their cafe after the periodic table. Oh, right. I just I walked in there. I was like, "This is trashy. I don't like this. <laughs> it's cheesy." Yeah, I was like, "I don't like this. This feels cheap." And just, uh, so I, I did away with that concept. <laughs> all right, Joey, did you have any more? No, I'm all good. All right. What I want to do is I had a user-submitted question from a, a while ago by someone called Ben Green, and um, I've been holding on to this for, for the show. So I'm going to read out the question as he's written it. He's also asked me to do a Scottish accent in parts, which I'm not going to just because <laughs> that's going to destroy it. So it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. Yet it's a cool 18 degrees C. You stop for lunch and pull out an awesome cheese and ham sandwich. You're just about to take a f your first bite when a magical dolphin waddles in through your shop doors. He says, don't be afraid for I am the magical dolphin Dave. And on account of your awesome podcast, <laughs> I'm here to grant you one of three possible wishes. Please choose wisely. Option one. No more wood movement. All your timber is perfectly stable and perfectly straight. You don't have to worry about it being warped from the yard and you don't have to worry about wood movement in future designs. Option two, no more dust. Your tools simply produce, your tools don't produce any kind of dust. Therefore, you don't need to wear any uh, mask or worry about extraction. Or number three, no more sharpening. You never have to sharpen again. Your, cool. your tools will never dull. Which do you choose? So join us. Let's I'll go dust any day because dust. I was going to say the same thing. I don't. I don't mind sharpening. It's nice and uh, even. I think wood movement shows a skilled craftsman from a crappy craftsman. So being able to handle that, but dust is just dust. Yeah, I agree. So, Joey, how about you? Yeah, Jordan put up the perfect explanation. I, I, I think he, that's bang on. Like, get rid of dust. No one needs it. Yeah. Wood movement, I guess, is, is a tricky one, um, especially as someone who's not as um, possibly as skilled or um, you know, experienced as you guys. Wood movement is a really tricky thing for me. Like I'm still learning how to use my my joints properly to get rid of that, um, you know, any movement that occurs um, during milling. So I don't know. Wood movement would be a wood movement and dust would be a close one for me. Mm. How about you, Brian? Dust. Dust. <laughs> dust. Dust. Have it. Ben, it's a pretty simple. 100% dust. 
Not only uh, from the fact that it's you've got to not breathe it in and clean it up, but then you, you can you could finish a piece of furniture on your table saw while, while you're cutting. cutting. <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be easy to use uh, the wide drum sander then too. Wouldn't have to worry about <laughs> dust extracting clogging up every five minutes. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Um, um, okay, well, what we'd normally do at this stage, uh, Brian, is we, we talk about any videos or something that we've been watching during the last week. Um, so uh, if you've got something to add, by all means, that'd be fantastic. But otherwise, um, Joey, do you want to... Do you want to yeah. start with your suggestion? So I had a message from Ian, who is currently currently in the chat. So thanks, Ian. So I got a message with a link to a YouTube. It's a YouTube video. I don't actually know what the channel's called, but the video is called Crazy Horse Dolly. And it's it cool. is this American fella who has made, essentially it's like a pyramid with wheels around the base and it has a central post with a, a wooden dome on it and you can lay down sheets of whatever plywood whatever you're working with mm. and you can just maneuver your sheet around laying down on this kind of little pyramid jig and it sounds crazy and stupid when you see how it works i was like oh my god so i actually emailed the guy straight away and said you're in the states do you mind if i just copy your design I can shout you out on my YouTube channel and people can go see you. Um, he came straight back to me and said he's actually now developed an aluminium version which he can ship very easily and he's mm -hmm. in the process of sorting out uh, what it's going to cost to ship it to me because he wants – I'd be his first international client. He wants me to have one. So um, in the process of getting one of those over to me, it's just still working out some numbers. Mm. Um but it's a very cool thing. Probably only useful if you have a larger shop, um, and probably my shop is on the on the smallest scale. I think maybe that this would be useful in. Um, but absolutely a backsaver and yeah. multi useful little extra person. Really, it's like a it's like an extra person in the workshop. So, yeah, yeah. I watched that video and I I instantly wanted to make one. But yeah. it got me thinking, uh, you know, the garage, like mechanics chairs? Yes. I'm thinking if I just buy one of them, cut the seat off and extend the pole, I've essentially got the same thing. Mm. Yes. But his one has a wide base. Yeah. His would be lay multiple sheets down on each edge of it as well as on top. So yeah. <clears throat> go check it out. Crazy horse dolly. Yeah. I want one. All right. I'm going to. Go next because I got an email from a guy by the name of Ian C who's in the, the chat and he also sent me a very interesting video. So Ian, I, I see you're giving us all some, uh, some information. Thanks for that. Uh, so this is a, a guy who's uh, doesn't have, he actually lives in an, in an apartment, which is amazing. And, and he wants to do woodworking. So he starts off by showing in the video that he's in his bedroom and there's the whole uh, typical joke about his wife, you know, wanting to kill him for doing woodworking in the, you know, in the house. And he wheels in this, like, remember Inspector, Inspector Gadget? Like, this, like, um, uh, uh, workbench with just all these bits sticking out of it. And he wheels it in and he starts doing this, like, all this, like, montage of all these bits coming out and plugging in. Da -da, and he's got a full-on workbench, table saw, everything. It is the most amazing thing. Huh. The 
and then from there, he then goes on to show you the shroud that he's got on it. <laughs> and he, so he does woodworking in his house, in his bedroom, complete, well, 99.9% dust free. Just, it's right. just amazing. Cool. And it's one of those wow. cool things where so many people are like, oh, I can't do woodworking. This guy has got around that. Any problem you can think okay. of, he's got around it. So, yeah. um, also, all the, the, the videos that we're talking about, there will be links in the description below. So, yeah. Um, yeah, have a look. Ian's just said too much time surfing instead of making. Well, thank you, Ian. Um, yeah, so far, both of those videos have been have been on point. So, John? Well, uh, I didn't get an email from Ian, so thanks, <laughs> Ian. Uh, whatever. No, uh, so I only discovered – so Philip Morley is a furniture maker I've followed oh, yeah. on Instagram for years, but I only just discovered he has a YouTube channel too. Yes, just this um, year, I think. Yeah, and like it's only – relatively small subscriber number yet now but all of his videos are highly produced like yeah. everything i've watched anyway um but yeah i really love what he does and puts out his videos are a little bit more towards the um you know like first starting out hobbyists in the way of we're making a saw horse or let's talk about joints and things but really cool channel and a really good furniture designer too yeah cool. uh, excellent stuff but no, no specific video, just his channel in general. Brian, any any one or any channel video that you want to mention? Um, I'm trying to think of any or designer. I guess a designer. Um, I'll give a shout out to a fellow Irishman who's a little bit more established than I am, but Joseph Walsh Studio. I don't know if you guys are familiar. With uh, his that name sounds very familiar. It does. So um, he does bent lamination is kind of his thing, but it's real complex curve bent lamination. It's the most incredible work. Like it looks like nothing else. Um, so I was fortunate enough when I was back in Ireland last year that the day before I flew back to Australia, I just um, stumbled upon that he had an open day in his workshop and took my mum on a six-hour journey down to Cork to um, to see it. But yeah. I think not only the, the level of his work and the type of people that he has working for him, he's basically set up in his auntie's farm or something like that and built this unbelievable workshop. And people come from all over the world to work for him and they live on site. Well, this is not a big city. This is, you know, maybe three hours from Dublin. So when people like us in Australia, you know, we consider ourselves to be isolated. There's a guy who's pretty isolated, but his mm. work, majority of it is going to mainland Europe or the US. Wow. His chairs that he was making when I was there were 35,000 euros each. Wow. Um, a set of 18 of them. And, you know, it sounds a lot for a chair and it is a chair, but I mean, this is an <laughs> absolute one-off art piece. Mm. And they're making it somewhere where, you know, like how you can be based there and there's no bunnings and mm. yeah there's no bunnings <laughs> um, but yeah there's no bunnings and there's no, there's no clients there and it's just it is the most incredible setup and if you ever get the chance and they're in ireland um when he has an open day because the rest of the time it is there's a gallery that's open but it's a closed studio right. mm. um and yeah i got lucky and um the woman that was running the tour kind of said oh you're a furniture maker and i got to have a bit of a one-on-one -on -one with him and hang out in the oh, workshop nice. and chat and yeah, it was nice. very inspiring so yeah i well, thoroughly recommend checking out some of his work i've just popped the link to the website in the video description so if you guys yeah. refresh the page you'll you'll see it there um, otherwise check it out later 
Okay, cool. Well, that's about the show. Uh, John, Joey, any other questions you want to ask Brian before we send him away? Um, maybe just very quickly, Brian, I you have some interns. How's that go? If we can do it in under a minute. <laughs> it, goes, it goes pretty good. Um, I generally try to take somebody on who doesn't maybe have that much experience in furniture making. Um, I've only had women work for me as well, which has been... Right. Pretty good. Um, yeah, it's cool. Uh, their eye for detail has been out of this world. Yeah, I had an RMIT student that was in product design. I had a German, uh, a very young German. She was 20, 21. And she came from one of the best furniture making schools in Germany. So it was me learning from her as well. So cool. it kind of felt as though I was helping teach the design side to her and she was teaching the making side to me. So it was well, quite a harmonious awesome. experience. It was really that's good. It's a cool idea, actually. Yeah. Mm. And then um, the uh, the girl that I have interning for me at the minute is a retired ballerina. Wow! Who um, you know, it's a career with a with a lifespan, and you have yep. to call yeah. it a day one day. And she just decided she wanted to stay in creative arts, but not stay in production or set design or anything like that. She wanted to be something completely different. So I think yeah. she did like ceramics. Yeah, I, I hear you've been doing a few. Get the hell <laughs> out of the industry now, guys! Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, she just decided that she wanted to do woodworking, signed up to a woodworking school, did a few classes in there. And then I think, um, I think it was Joey, you were saying about getting a mentor. Yeah. So she decided that that was a better approach for her than going to a woodworking school. Yeah, so cool. she worked with two other furniture makers doing a day a week. And then she did a day a week with me and she's learning, you know, three different perspectives on awesome. every way of making something. So she's cool. Yeah. It's a, that is the best way to learn, I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for, for tuning in. Um, and thank you very much, Brian, for, yeah. for joining us on the show. No we really do appreciate it. It's been, thank you for the invite. Yeah, it's been great to talk to someone who's um, winning awards. We had an award-winning <laughs> furniture designer on our show. How cool is that? That's our claim to fame. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, w- one quick more and one more quick announcement before we leave. I just want to make a mention to everyone that we are doing, um, myself, Joey, and Jordan are going to be down at Marlini doing a talk for the Wood Expo. And we're going to be doing a meetup at Brisbane just after that, all on the 5th of May. So obviously we'd love for you guys to come and uh, join us at the Wood Expo. But if you just want to come have a beer with us, we'll be in Brisbane on the 5th of May. Yeah. That'd be great to see everyone. Um, I'll just give it a quick, do you mind if I just do a quick, quick plug as well? Yeah, no, um, I'm going to have my work in an exhibition with a few other makers with Dan Poole, Damien Wright, um, Adam Markowitz, Laura McCosker, and Brian Chandley as part of Craft Victoria. That's going to be towards the end of April, beginning of May. So Where just, is it's, it's going to be in Melbourne right? and um, through Craft Victoria, but uh, cool. it's a really good group of makers and there's going to be some really interesting work there. So it's going to be a free exhibition. Um, but yeah, just stay tuned on my Instagram. Not sure when it. Not sure exactly when. And lastly, uh, on the fourteenth of April, I'll be at the Perth Wood School on their open day. So come down and say hello there. Cool. Yeah, if you're in the Perth region or yeah. if you want to travel, we don't get many in Perth, so it's worth coming down. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, everyone. Uh, thank you to everyone in the chat. Thanks very much for, for stopping by and joining and be part of, being part of it. Um, 
So we will see you all again same time next week, 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on a Thursday. Thanks very much for watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.